GM, everyone. Welcome to the second episode of Carlos Podcast, where I host interviews and discussions with creators, collectors, community members, and different players in the digital art world. Today, we have an exciting guest, Francisco, also known as Far, who is a friend, artist, and entrepreneur. I can't wait to learn more from him about Yen Art, his art career, which spans over 15 years. And more importantly, his recent projects, including the Taproot Wizards, which are one of the most anticipated projects on the Bitcoin Ordinals ecosystem. But be, before we start, I would like to remind you about the podcast slash Twitter space dynamics. And basically every Monday, I'll record a Twitter space at this time, 6 p.m. UTC, and you can tune in to ask questions live. So if you want to ask questions today to Francisco, you can use the chat icon at the bottom right, and you can let us know also your feedback. And if you cannot tune in live, I will share the recording on my Substack newsletter. And also it will be available in the podcast platforms like Apple and Spotify. So I think that's it for the introduction. Let's get started. Francisco, how are you today? How are uh, you? Thank you for having me. We are, we are a few of us here. Happy to chat with you. How, how is the summer down there in Portugal? Must be nice, right? Yeah, it's good. It's, it's good. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Yeah. Work, working here is not too hot. So it's, it's pretty good. Great chip. Great. You know, Far, I know, let's get started from, from the beginning. I know you have been, you know, creating art for a while, but also you have a long career, not only in the practical sense, but, you know, studying also art from a theoretical, also point, point perspective, let's call it formal education. Can you, can you tell us a bit about your background and, you know, the history, everything uh, you have done from zero? Yeah. So I have a, a, a formal education as, as a civil, civil engineer. And when I was doing civil engineering, I was one of those that, yeah, I wanted to be an artist, but my, my father kind of, like I said, I mean, come on, dude, what the hell are you going to do as an artist? He was very like, a, he thought it was like a joke. But he knew like I had like this kind of like I was uh, painting and designing since I remember he, he came from construction. Like my grandfather also like was in construction. Everyone in my family was a mechanical engineer and the construction side. And they were like, come on, dude, you gotta do this. So, so I did civil engineering and while I was doing civil engineering, I was, I started to become very interested into the, into graphic representations. That was the only thing I was good at, actually, in the in the degree. So when I finished uh, civil engineering, I became a professional civil engineer, and I actually can sign. I can do like uh, bridges and all this stuff. I will let you know which one I do, so you don't pass by. Uh, but but then when when I was finishing, I was like, okay, I need to pursue some something more artistic, more creative, and and then I did. I thought architecture was a good degree. So the day after I finished civil engineering, I got a scholarship, a Fulbright to do architecture in the, in the Southern California Institute for Architecture, which was the most, I would say like the most experimental architecture school at the moment in the world. Uh, 
a lot of the people teaching over there was either coming from the years at Columbia University where they started to use animation software to create buildings. And some others would come from working from Frank Gehry, Group Kimmelow, San Hadi. So it was a very, very interesting school. And so I joined, I was just like a very fascinated by software and all the 3D generated the stuff that we are surrounded by. And so I was pretty assessed with them to understand of each algorithms in the, in the, in our build environment in every day's life. And, and I was kind of like a, going to the stores and checking each product, like, a, or checking cars and trying to guess which software has been used to design it. So that, that type of level of obsession. And so by the time I was finishing the, the architectural degree, it was funny because I was just painting, you know, in the school and everyone was kind of like a, saying like, just go for it. This is very experimental. I wasn't doing architecture to, to be honest, but then I did for my thesis, I, I started to create these 3D worlds that they were come from paintings and that project was called Inescapes. Uh, and then he won the best thesis prize. So everyone was kind of like a, very excited about it as architectural scholars and architects and. And it was kind of like a statement from, from this school to give the best thesis prize to an, a non-building, right? It was more like as a, maybe like a landscape or 3D landscape creation. I mean, this is in 2011, like a, right, right now, someone would say, okay, this is like a metaverse, right? Or something like that. But yeah, so this is, this was when I started my practice down, down there. I was like, okay. okay I'm done with, with school here. I, I'm an artist right now. So I got a, an artist studio and I was, I mean, even though like I had a job, an architecture job, I was like doing this experimenting with software and painting and generative. Now, now we call it generative, but yeah, doing, doing all the things with software. And yeah, so this is the foundation. This is where I, where, like, I guess where, when I started, then, then we just like, then this is 2011. So then, you know, like I was uh, having shows here and there and I thought like, hey, Okay, I have no idea about art history or, or, or what art is, you know, like I know a lot about making cool, cool stuff maybe, but I mean like a more foundational, a more foundational, let's say knowledge of art history and, and more about art. So then I went back to school. It's funny. Uh, so I went back this time to Harvard because Harvard had this program that I applied to several programs. I got into MFAs and I was like a, Man, I don't know if I want to do an MFA, you know, kind of old for this. And, and then at Harvard, they have this program that they would let you, uh, they would evaluate the school design, but they, basically they would let you do whatever you want and you can, you can tailor your program. Uh, and then, you know, you, you get a degree. So I was like, okay, let me, I go there. I got in, I got, I went there and, and then I spent my time in between MIT, um, in the art school at MIT. And then in the, also learning a lot about art history and, and in the art studio practice at Harvard. So it was a pretty cool, pretty cool. I have a couple of questions. First, what, can, can you, can mm. you tell us what's MFA for those that don't know, like me, what is that degree? It's a master in fine arts. So basically that's the MFA is like, a, let's say you can study, this is more also like a, in the, in the U.S. system, let's put it this way. You know, in Europe also there is masters in arts, MAs, but in in the US it's kind of like important. Like you you can do your bachelor's in in arts or something, but then the MFA is where this is where you get like your your couple of years of 
a lot of critique and this is where you, you come with your practice already kind of like a develop a little bit, but, but then over there you, you shape it with the, uh, and then you're ready to, to, you know, to just like a consolidated talk. It's kind of like an important degree. Yes. Now, now I get it. And you weren't sure at the beginning to, to get into arts formally. But what changed, you know, after you got your degrees in civil engineering and in architecture? So it kind of inspired you after you saw that you had potential, after your thesis won the award, that kind of gave you the confidence to go for the MFA? And or what was the reason that you decided to go for it? Yeah, no, I wanted to be, I think this happens a lot of people like, you're an artist and this is what it is, right? Okay, this is what you are. So I, as I say, like my, my family kind of convinced me, like I, you know, I was, my parents never went, they didn't go to school or anything like that. They were just like a very, very old school. And then they were, you know, we were, I was in a, I grew up in a village of 1500 people and they were like, a man, like, what, what the hell is that being an artist? So. They thought like an engineer was kind of like, a, okay, you're, you're an engineer, so you'll be all set. Yeah. You know, these are all the school thinking. So they, this is, this is why I did it, but it's okay. This is uh, day one. I met like architecture students, you know, in architecture, you had the first year is that you had like some art classes. So one of my roommates, he was studying architecture and I was doing his homework and he got like a, that was the, that was the best, the best degree he got. It was like a, all the class that I did his, his homework for. So I was like, man, I want to do. Architecture seems like a very good degree because it has this technical aspect, but also it's artistic. Yeah, I guess I, I really like the technical stuff. Like I always liked it. Like this is why I went to engineering school in a way. So, so yeah, I mean, you know, like and then when I went to architecture, it was just like a, I'm not the guy who is gonna be sitting here like a, putting restrooms on, on buildings. You know, I was I was actually my job. I was doing stadiums. I was doing the concept. I was a concept designer for stadiums. I did like a, a lot of them in the US and like hundreds and all over the world doing for three years. And I was doing very well. I was, I had like a very successful career as a stadium designer for a very, very short though. But, but then I quit. I was like in my late twenties and I was already like a very higher up in the doing, I, I won like a few big projects as a stadiums. Uh, I got the Atlanta Rakes was one of them. And, you know, I was like, okay, this is a moment like, or if I want to experiment something with art, this is the moment or not. It's not like I'm just going to be doing this. So I say like, okay, I'm going to go for it. And my boss was kind of like, a, you're, you're fucking crazy. But... <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, I can imagine because probably at that point might be harder, right? And if you, if you did that from the, from the beginning, because you already yeah. had success, you were established, but that's awesome. I didn't know you were part of the design, the Atlanta Braves. That's uh is it the Turner? I did the concept design. Stadium design is a, it's a very, very small, there's very few firms. And I learned, I got an internship with, working with the Dan Mees, who is the architect who designed the Staples Center. And he taught me everything. And very quick, I learned so quick. So I, in a few months, I was doing like a, this internship and then I jumped into, from internship to senior. <laughs> Because I already was working for, I got like a full project right away, like a, for Philadelphia Eagles, was working for Magic Johnson when he tried to buy the Dodgers. I was, yeah, very cool project. So yeah, I was doing two things. Imagine like the whole stadium, the overall structure, what you see, and then also doing like an experience and stuff. So I was involved also in some Super Bowls, a couple of them at least, and yeah, many other stuff. So it was kind of very 
it was pretty good. This is why also I do I like to do these very large installations um, and I like to do like a, a spatial stuff because mm. I come from that. Yeah. I remember, I mean, kind of a backstory how, how I met Par. We were both in uh, Bright Moments, Mexico City, and, you know, there were many artists and collectors around. So you usually you start to, to you know, chat with, with the people around you. And yeah, I remember you were saying that you were an artist and what caught my attention is that you, you mentioned you created, I mean, you create your own smart contracts and then you also share, show me your art, which were these 3D words or objects that you can actually uh, play with your uh, phone, right? With your iPhone, you can create this virtual reality stuff, right? I, I remember those. Um, so yeah, that makes sense because that's kind of what you were doing back in your job. But for you decided then to quit your job and go for an MFA mm -hmm. and how, how? Yeah. So I quit my job and then I spent like a couple of years, like let's say doing art shows here and there. And then, you know, I was in Los Angeles and then I, I went back to Spain. I have a studio in Spain, very cool. Uh, I was like, man, I need to go back to the U.S. I'm going to try to get like a, apply to graduate school and get some scholarships and then, you know get back in the game because this is like, a, what am I doing? <laughs> that, by the way, like I was already in crypto. This is like a 2016 or something like that. I already knew crypto. I knew already about the whole thing. Okay. I was into it. Okay. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. Let's, uh, we will get to yeah. the crypto, crypto part. I, I know you, you are also a big part of the Bitcoin ordinals community. Just, but I have a couple of questions before we move to the Bitcoin and, the, and your recent projects. What, what do you think? Uh, because, you know, I've seen many artists that are in the space right now and they don't really have, you know, like formal educations or formal art education. So mm -hmm. with your MFA, can you, can you tell us like, what are the pros and cons or what did you learn that you think is very important that some artists don't have the chance because they don't go for a formal education. They go practical, especially in the space where you have all the tools mm -hmm. in your hands to you know, create art, publish it. Many were, you know, as you, like from an engineering background or they were doing different things, especially in the generative art world. So what do you think are the advantages if you actually get the chance to study art? So, well, first of all, I didn't do MFA. It's not called MFA, technically. It was pretty funny because I was shopping for MFAs and I got into very cool schools and so I was in Los Angeles, it was my birthday and I, I made a party with a bunch of artists over there. And then, you know, I got into Harvard, CalArts and what are they, the artists in Chicago. I was already interviewing at Yale, but then I was talking to my friends over there. I was like, yeah, I don't know what to do. And they were like, oh, you should go to Harvard because over there, there's Steven Prina is over there. And I, I was like a big fan of Steven Prina, but I was like a, I felt like a Steven Prina living in LA. And, but actually, no, he, he was in between LA and uh, Harvard. So, so then I was like, a, I wrote to Steven Prina and say, look, I got into this, but I'm not like really sure about going to Harvard. It feels like from LA to, to Boston, it feels like a very dramatic thing. So it's like, yeah, come over and, you know, let's talk. So I met him over there and then he said, look, they, you know, if you come over here, you can do your own program. So let's do, I'll do your, your own MFA. So basically I'll give you a studio here at the Carpenter Center, which is a beautiful building in Boston. It's the only building made by Le Corbusier. It's incredible. And then he was like, you, you can work with me. So 
that's the, that's my degree. I mean, I got an, but I got the MFA education because I was just I tailor. I'm kind of like I made my own degree, led by Stephen Prina. So yeah, first of all, so I don't have an MFA because I don't believe in a way. I don't believe in this institutionalization because the MFA. I think going back to and I'm coming back to what you're saying because because it's related. So. The MFA is, you know, you, when you apply, you're like, okay, you need to apply it to painting, sculpture, photography. It's very segregated. And, you know, for many years, I, I didn't get into the MFA right away. So I, I applied, I think, like a two or three years. And I was applying to painting and I was like, but I was working all, mostly digital, right? So sometimes they were saying, like, well, maybe you should apply for photography because you, what you're making is kind of like a, it's digital stuff, but, you know, deal this with photography. Or, or maybe you should apply to a sculpture. It was kind of like a very lost, you know, because everything is pretty, you know, I, I believe in into interdisciplinary practices. So yeah, I think back, back to the, back what, what I like about this, the, the space is that like it's a little, it's very progressive. So anyone can come in and then no education is needed. Like first thing they ask you in the art world, it's like, where do you do your MFA? Right. And then. If they, if they don't, I remember that because, you know, I, I have work and I have gallery visit, visit in my, my studio and they were like, so where do you do your MFA? I was like, well, I don't have an MFA. And they were like, oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, we'll talk to you later. So basically it was like a, a, a blocker. And so this is why I like this. Like here it's like, okay, anyone that, if they do cool stuff and, they, and it's good, that's interesting that someone that makes art and, and they do an MFA, but still make like a cool stuff, they can, they can get a living and they don't need to work through these established institutions, right? Like, so I thought that was very good for the space. Now, I think it's very positive. I think this is how it should be a very progressive space. What happened now is that, yeah, the space is, it got a little bit more like, oh, we want to be like an air world, you know? So they are trying to emulate that art world and they are looking more for these stamps of validation. So this is when it's becoming a little bit, it's an emulation of their world. So I don't know if it is good or bad, but it's just like a different, like a, a very quick evolved. So before you had like a, this, like a space that anyone can do it. And now we have this, maybe because there is less buyers or, or people are having heavy bags, you know, they want to protect the things that they collected. But there is a little bit of gatekeeping. This is the technical aspect of it. The MFA in the art world is like the gatekeeping. This is how you gatekeep your artist. And here, you know, I don't know if it is that, but in a way, there is a little bit of, of this, some, some of this validation. Yeah. So I don't know if, if it goes back to your question, right? Like, yes. Yes. Totally. It, it, this world. Totally. Totally. It, it makes sense. And I know what you mean about gatekeeping in the space. There has been multiple discussions about that and, you know, big brands big names coming to the space, which has near positive aspects as well. But yeah, it's, uh, mm -hmm. it's kind of, as you said, gatekeeps and, and makes it harder for emerging artists to stand out. I mean, following to your point, and you have been also very critical uh, about the duration in the space, right? And mm -hmm. how it's done at the moment in Web3 in general. So can you tell us a bit about that? Because I think. If you come from the traditional art world, there are certain rules or like a process for curators. Actually, that's a career. Many people study art history mm -hmm. and art curation. So 
What do you think is missing in terms of curation in the Web3 or digital art? What do you think is missing at the moment? Well, I'm critical always with everything. Like if I have an opinion, it's, I don't think this is being critical. You, know, you should have the right to have an opinion about things. But yeah, with creation, I like the, the aspect on when we met, when I told you like, you know, I don't my art smart contract. I, I'm not part of any, I mean, actually to date, I haven't done anything with, yeah, I don't, the first thing I did a project with the expanded. That expanded with the curated by Anika. That's my first project that I did part of a platform. But I like the the kind of like the Wild West type of thing, like a, decentralized. So let's go for it, like a permissionless. A little bit with FS has, has. I like that. And but now, if you if you're gonna curate, you know, like a, but let's do it well. That's my point. That's when I become like a I'm a little bit critical. And curation. It's what you say, like there's people that they, they do this. It's kind of hard, actually, very hard. As an artist, like you create works and then you need to create works. And sometimes you need somebody else to come to your studio and then do the creation for you. And, and there is amazing curators that they work in museums and, and galleries. And so my, my criticism is like, okay, you have these people, just bring them in. You know, you want to do creation, just bring the, these people in. To be frank, this is an artist, you know, they, they don't make money. They don't make, make money, but they are not well paid, maybe in their world. And if there's people here that they have resources, I mean, right now everything's kind of like dried up a little bit, but if they have resources, you can hire creators from the art world and, and they do, this is what they do is this, they can do a good job, you know, and they can go and do what they know to do, which is like a navigate through all their stuff that is out there and then pull out like a cohesive shows. I think that is, yeah, and there is a successful stories of creators that, that move from from the art world to Web3, I think people are doing very well. And I don't think curation is something that it's just like a, a popularity contest or vote or voting and stuff like that. I don't think that works. Curation is a vision someone has, it's like an art piece. So yeah, I think a lot of the creation in the space is so attached to make it profitable. So they go like, okay, this artist sells, they have a lot of like a Twitter followers. So let's put them in. So yeah, this is what I don't like. I think this is not creation. This is not serious. So, so if you want to do that, like just don't do it. So that's kind of like my overall criticism. Yeah. No, right. That, that makes sense. So since this space is so open and everybody has their resources to, you know, share audience, share artworks, create their own platforms, websites, however you want to call it. Yeah, it, it opens the door for doing it without, you know, previous research or as you said, creating a storyline or maybe becoming an expert curator in a field. Like now in the digital mm -hmm. art space, there are different movements and even in the movements like generative art, AI art, bleach art, there are sub subcategories. Now mm -hmm. that the space has a multiple years in the making, there is the possibility to actually have this sort of digital art history, which is yeah. very complex. And I think there aren't many people doing that. I think it's something that's needed. Many, many people mentioned that, and it's not easy, as you said, because the opportunities mm -hmm. for curators aren't as big as for artists, right? But yeah, that, that, that's a, a great point as so far. So. Let's move on to the NFTs part. Um, was uh, exciting to hear your 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 start. I know you you mentioned that you were in crypto already uh, while you were studying with while you were working. 
But then when did you actually look into NFTs and started to share your art through that medium? Well, you know, I was, when Red Peppers were doing like, I was actually, which is funny, the other day I was in the spaces with all the, a lot of the folks from the Red Peppers. I was paid testing because I saw this community back then in 20, it was 16, 17, all this year, 18. I was like on the side, you know, I was an artist and doing things. I was actually working with some, some other folks that they were in the blockchain, we were doing things, but I saw this kind of like a, these guys and I was like, okay, like I'm doing my pepes and stuff like that. So I had some pepes, but I, ne I never submitted for them to put like a, to the unofficial or the fake pepes and all that. So that was an interesting movement. I was thinking, I was like, man, this is very neat, very wild. But I never thought that that was going to be, yeah, it was interesting, but I wasn't part of this. So I saw this on the sidelines. Now in the next, in the following years, I mean, of course I saw the crypto banks and all of that, but I didn't, you know, I was thinking like, yeah, this is, this is pretty cool. And I was involved in crypto into other communities. And I didn't think that this would be as its own market, you know, like uh, other coins and stuff like that. I always thought that the blockchain would be interesting as a medium for outside of the, of the crypto, um, let's put it this way. So I started to become very interested when I started, when I started to see people buying these NFTs and when, when punks started to be like a more, it was like actually people buying a lot and paying a lot of money when G money bought his, his punk. I was like, well, this is very interesting. And then it became a, a lot of volume started to come in. So I thought like, wow, this is actually the volume from shit coins are going to NFTs. So it's just watching a little bit. And then certainly I think it's 2021, I just dive into it. You know, I started to say, okay, I'm going to do this. I remember I spoke with Kevin Rose. I was like, yeah, I'm an artist. I'm in this space. I don't know if I should do this or not. Like he was like, yeah, you should. <laughs> and then I had like a few collections that I did the MC escapes. This is an AI collection. It was a test. It was like 12 pieces. Then I did the infinites as a test also, but it was like an stealth mean, but then it became kind of like a very popular because AC collector named the infinites in the orbs article that, that was talking about generative art when, and then this one generative art kind of like a, had like a, this big run. So yeah, I think that was 2021. I was like a more like a doxer. This one I did like a more publicly in my NFT. My the journey before that was just fucking around here and there. I actually think I have like some AI stuff that I did. I need to find it. Like I put in early 2020 and some of the AI stuff that I did, it. I don't know where the wallets are, but I minted some stuff, I think. Which, in which blockchain? That sounds interesting. Like the infinite that you mentioned. Ethereum. Ethereum. Okay. And yeah, I know the images exactly. I mean, literally, but I don't know where the wallets are. I'm trying to find where it is. You know, I, again, like it happened the same with the counterparty. Like, I don't know where these wallets are, but I did a lot of stuff in counterparty. I'm pretty sure like I got some pebbles, like uh, stuff like that. I don't know where they are. It, it's one of those. For those, for those that aren't familiar with counterparty, when I wrote about Bitcoin ordinals, I, I actually researched a bit and what you mentioned about pebbles and the crypto, crypto punks. So those were minted on Bitcoin, but there were like side projects, right? That were designed to operate yeah. with Bitcoin. But eventually those projects for one reason or another didn't succeed. Nevertheless, some of those NFTs were bridged, right? To Ethereum, for example, like CryptoPunks. 
So in your case, you use this counterparty and that's not around. Uh -huh. It's not used anymore. It was a blockchain or? No, I have people use it. Okay. Her. Okay. And, and is it, do you know, like more technically, is it a protocol, a blockchain? What is exactly counterparty as far? No, I think the high level is that it's attached to the transactions in Bitcoin, but then it has like a, you can store these links to the actual images. It's in the counterparty, so it's like a side chain. But yeah, it's at, at the high level, you know. And now a lot of this is in Embel Vault, is where people are like in. But yeah, I think this is what is interesting now with Ordinals. I think a lot of the these folks are coming to Bitcoin because, you know, it's interesting, same folks. Yes. Yeah, that, that's it. But that was, that was the origin. I mean, this is a very interesting community, very interesting works. Like, uh, there's a lot of people involved there. Fantastic. This is part of the, it's, it's very, I would say the, the stuff that happened over there within these years is very native to the crypto culture. Mm -hmm. I think it's pretty, a very group, very, very nice group of people, actually. Very, very thoughtful. You know, this is already, it's going to be like a lot of years after this. So this is like a, it's very nice. Yeah. Yeah. The, for those, I mean, the, uh, many, many of my readers are still trying to grasp and, and also myself with Bitcoin ordinals. Can you, can you tell us? Because I know you are part of the Taproot Wizards, which will we, we will talk about that in a bit. But can you tell us why Bitcoin ordinals is so exciting and why so many people are you know, building on this ecosystem at the moment? Why Bitcoin ordinals instead of counterparty on all these other services, let's call it that way, that, you know, eventually at some point were yeah. reduced? Why is Bitcoin ordinals special? Well, in counterparty, you don't actually store the data on chain. You store links to somewhere, you know, to a server essentially. And which is a lot of the stuff on other chains, like Solana and Ethereum, this is what it is. You basically is what is so-called pointers, right? So you're, you're purchasing links to IPFS, which is, that's, that's pretty funny to put it that way. I mean, look, one of the value propositions of NFTs is that it's, it's a contract in between the artist and, and the collector and there's a transaction being made and, and the contract is on chain is it's just like a contract. So the art can be in a server, it can be in, in IDFS or, or it can be like a physical, it's a painting. I mean, you say like, look, this is how, how you pay for it. Now there's another value proposition that is saying that the, the actual art is stored on chain. That means that it's immutable. Is in the blockchain, it's running all the nodes or validators. So it's going to be there forever until the, till the blockchain disappears. Arguably, we can say like it, it will be, it will never disappear. So you don't need to worry about it. So I think on chain is a very strong value proposition. And in a way, I think this is why, uh, Jaradivar became so valuable for so many people, because basically in Jaradivar do the scarcity of, or the ability to put things on chain on Ethereum, but you can put code. So our blocks, for instance, they kind of store the code or the, the most, like, let's say the best example is we, we or not, it's not the best example, but maybe the, the most famous example would be like a, a auto glitch, like an auto glitch is all on chain, generates the image and it's always there. And, and I think this is a very strong value proposition. So now in order to know what happens, like in Ethereum, First of all, like going to Ethereum to put things on chain, Ethereum is very expensive, but you don't have that ability to put that much data without spending a, a fortune. 
And now in ordinals, what happened? You can put in taproot arbitrary data assigned to two transactions to link to a Satoshi. And then the limits are, if, if you do it yourself, it's 400 kilobytes. And if you work with a miner, you can do it in like a full, full block, like a four megabyte, like we did with the, with the taproot wizard. So that's substantially way bigger than, than anything else that you, you had before. And so I think this is pretty interesting because at the same time, uh, Bitcoin is the most decentralized blockchain ever and, and it's secured by proof of work. It's the most secure, decentralized, it's the most famous or known, the biggest brand of, of, of crypto also. And, and now you have more data to put it. So you don't need to do like a JRD bar or anything. You can just upload a JPEG if you want. So the JPEG will be forever over there. I think this is very strong reasons for me, not alone. That was like a very strong reasons for me to the other side of the pocket. Of course, you have like a more argument in market wise. You can say like, okay, it's Bitcoin. There's more liquidity over there. You can sell your work. There's more people willing. I mean, there's more money than Ethereum and so that, so that, but that market, you know, this, this is, is harder to figure out, but technically speaking, I think this, this is why it's very interesting actually. Yeah. Yeah. Makes makes sense. Yeah. I remember hearing some of the people in Bitcoin, the ones that are developing for Bitcoin and have been on Bitcoin for a while mentioning that how is it possible that Bitcoin is the number one crypto coin in terms of users volume, and it's not used for the crypto economy, which is DeFi and NFTs. Right? So now that's changing thanks to ordinals and yeah there are many people that has and have bitcoins so it's uh, clearly in terms of volume market wise makes a lot of sense what about the taproot wizards that's one of the most anticipated projects on bitcoin probably the number one and can you tell us why i mean you're part of it you are the artist behind the taproot wizards i know the team it's an exciting team can you tell People here listening live and those listening later in the podcast, why are the Taproot Wizards special? What's exciting about them? Yeah, that, the question, the why they are special, I mean, how you look at them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they look, they look special. Look, yeah, I think uh, it's very, it's very tasty. It's a good story because so I was talking to Dennis Porto who wrote the, the article. What is, I forgot the title, but yeah, Dennis. Dennis and I, when I was at Harvard, I did that. I created a blockchain group in the graduate school of design. So we held meetings every week. Just a few people were talking about, we were interested in design art and because we were there and, and crypto. And then one day I organized a meetup with the business school. And over there I met Dennis Porto. He was doing an MBA. And um, Dennis and I, since then became good friends and last summer. He told me like, Hey, you know, Udi and Eric Wall, they're working on a project about using the, something about the, a project with talking about the, the, meme, the meme of the wizard. I mean, would you like to talk to them? They're looking for an artist. I was like, yeah, that, that's pretty cool. I like the, the meme. I remember, I was like, I remember vividly. So yeah, we started to talk in, the, in August actually. And even though I think Casey was doing that he was working on an ordinal there, but I didn't know about it. But in any case, we were thinking about doing something 
So we're talking about the wizards back then. So I actually kind of like made almost a full collection and we're like thinking about, okay, now we need to do this for the Bitcoin culture, but we didn't know how to do it. So it was pretty funny because for months we were just talking and then when ordinals, I started to know more about ordinals and then Dennis, he wrote this article and then he sent me the draft. I was like, yeah, I'll check it out. I'll check it out in a couple of days or something. But then I went and check it out when he sent me. I was like, shit, this is fucking cool. So then I sent a message to the, um, and Eric was like, man, I think we, we should, we, this is, this is it. And then we got together, a bunch of people were there and then we were like, yeah, okay, let's, let's call Luxor, the miners. Let's do a full block. Let's do something crazy. And, and this is what the, how we did the, the, the big wizard. So I think, uh, yeah, generally speaking, I think the, what is exciting about it is like Bitcoin has been like a, for many years. I mean, when I go into crypto, I, I, I don't know, like, I was like, a, man, these Bitcoiners are fucking like, a, I, I like this a lot. I mean, I was like a more prone to Ethereum and just the culture was kind of like a more interesting, but I think what Udi um, and Eric w- wanted to change that, this is what they told me uh, in summer. I was like, yeah, I, I'm down for this. I think this is a good, this is a good fight. And this is like with the, with the best thing we, we can do with JPEGs. So this, this is the mission, the core mission of the Tupper Wizard. I think, I mean, I don't know if this is the coolest project or not. This is kind of like a, whatever people think about, or they, they can do whatever, they can think about whatever they want. Mm-hmm. Every, everything can be the coolest thing. But that's the mission that this project, and this is what represents, like, which is like the most important part of the, of the Wizard. And the, and the Wizard, because I was reading, I think I was listening to Udi in a Twitter space. So the Wizard was in that that was posted on Reddit and it was very simple, kind of yeah, yeah. like a paint made of Microsoft paint. And it actually was very successful very early on, like 2012, 11, maybe. And that 13, no, it was a competition. It was a competition for a meme to bring people. And then Maven's bot made it and he made it on paint. All these years, I thought he made a Microsoft paint and then he told us that he had Photoshop. <laughs> so I was like, man, when I was there, Dr. Whistles, I was like, imagine I'm working on, on MS Paint. And then, and then he told us it was Photoshop, but yeah, but here with a mouse on that, I guess. And how did you make it? You made the wizards on Paint actually, or Photoshop? What did you use? Photoshop, Photoshop, okay. Photoshop. Yeah. I actually, I tested several things actually. I was trying to emulate this kind of like a low effort, I would say low effort, low, low resolution. Right. Yeah. I was trying. A lot of things. It's kind of hard. Like you're used to do like this super polish stuff. And then it's like, man, I need to just unlearn everything and then do this, this stuff. Right. Especially when we look at your art, which is generative art, kind of virtual reality, 3D. I mean, you were designing stadiums in, in USA. So yeah, I can imagine it was complex to go back to paint, Microsoft Paint or, or, you know, this Photoshop, but looking for this low, low effort looking wizard. It's fun. Yeah. I like it because I mean, I'm done for the concept more than everything else. So, I mean, I'll do whatever, like in generative, whatever it has to do, has to be done. I'm more interested to the concept. So I thought that, yeah, I thought that was the, the, the interesting part of it, you know? Yeah. It's, it's unique and it's a funny PFP, which represents a culture, let's call it that way, both of NFTs and Bitcoin. So that is an important aspect of it. And far, I, I would like to touch a bit more on your art, but just a reminder, we are 
almost over. I mean, it's a one hour space. Mm -hmm. I, I think we can continue talking, but I know you have your kids, you have to put to bed. But a reminder for everyone, if you have questions for FAR, please, you can use the chat icon and then feel free to ask any questions about Bitcoin Ordinals, his art, uh, or if you have questions for the, the podcast, or if you would like to have a special guest in the future, just use the chat icon at the bottom. Coming back to your art, FAR, so I know you have a couple of projects that are quite interesting. I know War Games. You have been working on that for a while. Can you tell us what's war games and, and the mechanics that you designed? Yeah, for war games, the premise was to do this participatory art. So normally you have, in general, the art, you have the, you use the randomizer to come out with the different outputs. And I thought that it was interesting to create the algo and then have these parameters and the ranges open to people to actually feel like it's finishing the pieces. So that, that was the, the experiment. And I mean, of course, when I started the war game, the, this is the premise. Now I learned a lot from doing it. This is like an ongoing experimental project. And so, yeah, now when I, of course, like when I did the war games, when I launched it, I didn't know that ordinals what what was going to be like a, a thing but now after launching it i started to go into the ordinal so now i'm very interested in, in experimenting with war games and ordinals so that's something that i've been experimenting i haven't released anything yet because it's just a very everything like maybe like very experimental but i would like to do, do that like a experiment with the recursive inscriptions and war games and putting things on chain so yeah, I think this is participatory. I mean, this is the important part of this like, to get the viewer as be part of this, of the making. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the collector is part of the creation of the pieces. Yeah. Similar to QQL or FX params. So it's a similar, mm -hmm. similar mechanic. Yeah. And you also have like a mint pass. I know I have a couple of those. So mint passes yes. to get your piece. Nice. And. These are created. Well, it's a, they are more, more, more than me passes are like, a, they are, yeah, they are passes to actually use the app, but I, I'm going to come out with the, with the actual, how they, they, they these are going to transform into the piece. The difference in between FS has params, they have a different mechanics that you burn your pass and then this is what you get. That's the piece. You need to decide the piece you want. And then FX has params, you get the mean path and then you need to get it to you use it right before a certain time to otherwise you're going to pay more or something like that. Yeah. There are taxes, there are taxes to keep your no, taxes passion. <laughs> no, this one is, there's nothing about it. I mean, you're part of this, like this up. I mean, uh, you're not penalized or anything. There's no burning or anything like that. I mean, um, but yeah, I'm going to do something like uh, basically the, the people can create their own and then just have their own, uh, basically, uh, NFTs. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. And no pressure. Yeah. <laughs> and the, you, I mean, you have a studio, right? Called fine. And that's what, so war games was developed by this studio that you founded. And you also got into an interesting, I mean, very popular VC in, in crypto that kind of founded this, this company of yours. Can you briefly, because we're coming to the end, but I think it's important to mention this. Can you tell us about your experience and, and this we see that funded your company. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah. 
Uh, so what happened is that we find the way you, you say it's a studio, it's an interesting way to name it. So when, when making these projects, I always have been collaborating with other people. I need to get like a technical people to help me out with the smart contracts, even with shaders and stuff like that. It's always a team effort. So I thought that putting this IP together and create this company that can allow, that can bring all this to this stuff to other people that there is no need to code and they can start creating like a complex stuff. That, that was the, the premise of, of fine. So we applied with the, yeah, Chelsea joined me doing that. So we applied to ACCC and then they were, we got one of the, it was one of the companies that got into it. I think it was like a 30 companies out of 9,000. They were interested into at least no code, co-creation, those tools. So it was very interesting experience because it's bringing like these creators. It was more, it was a very different company than the rest of companies. The rest of companies, they're more hardcore, like application, they're making applications and services or infra. We, we were more like a this creative studio that is creating IP, but also is creating these tools. So it was a very interesting, we learned a lot about actually how to make companies because this is what they're good about it, like about making companies. There was a very interesting three months. I mean, of course, we gained a lot of uh, edge into this, this sense of, about how to, let's say, how to turn the creative pra practice into a company or a work with the, in the creative economy. There was a very interesting, very formative three months. Right. And, and probably you were the, were you the only artist in that group or were there already other artists slash entrepreneurs in the, in the, in that cohort? No, I was the only one. There is another, there was another firm that they were more, it's called Kiki and they work with the makeup. So they are a little bit, you can, they are in the creative field, let's put it this way. But no, I think I was the, very much the only one, um, creator. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's exciting because you get to this place with a, a lot of business people, with a lot of experience and you have this other kind of, kind of, you think like an artist you know, the space very yeah. well. So I think it's a good combination and uh, I'm sure you learned a lot from them and just being surrounded by all these amazing minds give you, you know, yeah, so, much, so much people. Right. Well, far, it was very exciting. I wish we had more time. I think we've covered plenty, plenty of topics, your art career, Bitcoin ordinals, which I hope people understand a bit, a bit more now. I know it's a complex topic but the ecosystem is evolving very fast. There are better applications every day. Also, it was great to hear from you about your art practice, your experience, you know, creating fine and your different art projects. Looking forward for the, the tap. Might I say something about yeah. uh, something you say? So mm -hmm. we are used to, we kind of like learn the hard way about putting JPEGs on, on J with the smart contracts on Ethereum. But Bitcoin ordinals are way simpler. People say like it's complex and it's like, no, it's not, it's easier. Like it's easier from the developing side. It's easier for an artist. It's easier for everybody. It's just like a, we kind of like a middle of our mind to work with the smart contracts on Ethereum, but it's way more complicated Ethereum than that. You just need to go to ordinals, like what Casey wrote on the start there, ordinals.com and, and read it and it's pretty. And then it takes like a one minute. If you don't know anything about ordinals, you can go to where like a gamma 
and then I Stripe, you basically upload your JPEG, send the money, and then that's it. It's pretty simple. And it's already. So what's the name? Is it Gamma? XYZ. Yeah, Gamma has like a, a service, like a, you know, Gamma dot is that Gamma dot IO. That's this is one of them. I mean, there's many, but if you go to create over there, and you can just s submit an, an image or a text, and then describe. It's very simple. I don't know why there is this kind of like a concept of things. Oh, it's so complicated. It's like, but but it's not. Yeah, you're right that it it's way simpler these days. I remember maybe five months ago there weren't many crypto wallets supporting ordinals, right? But that has changed radically over the past two months, three months. I think it's now I've seen multiple marketplaces like Magic Eden. You mentioned Gamma. I think Hero Hero Wallet. It's a popular wallet. Can you maybe name a few resources far to close the space today that people can use to, you know, to get into Bitcoin ordinals like marketplaces, crypto wallets, anything that well, you find useful. Yeah. I think the best that is, first of all, you go to docs.ordinals.com. That's, that's pretty easy. I mean, the original, the ordinal theory handbook, then you can, in YouTube, there's a video of Casey. Explaining ordinals that yeah, she's here. Like we can make it and tell us more other resources. But I think there is this video from Casey Rodamore. I mean ordinals, which is surprisingly, this video in YouTube has like a, not that many views actually, and and it's pretty well. He explained very very well what ordinals are, and yeah, those are the best to start with. And then after that, you can go to the other stuff like uh, this platforms and stuff like that. I think it's not complicated. It gets, you know, might get complicated, of course, but I think to begin with, to start to testing, inscribe some things, you might lose them, but it's fine. You know, it's testing it out. It's not that complicated. Awesome. I'll link the video to the podcast. Yeah, so I'll send it to you and then you can, you can link it. Fantastic. Far, thanks so much for your time. It was a very interesting conversation and one last thing before we wrap it up. When are the Taproot wizards going to be distributed? I think you, you told me once it will be slowly over time and there are different challenges happening. Can you tell us a bit about that to wrap it up? Well, is this, everyone knows here is the, the school, school.taprootwizard.com. We have the quests and yeah, that's, that's all I can say. This year maybe happens. Okay. So this year. Maybe it yeah, happens. 2023. <laughs> okay. Great. So thanks everybody for, for tuning in. Thanks again for, I, I'm hosting these spaces every Monday on UTC. And if you cannot make it live, you can subscribe to my newsletter and I send it as a podcast and it, it's also on all podcasting platforms. So you can hear it whenever you have a chance. Thanks everyone for tuning in. See you next week. Thank you. See you next week. Thank you for having me.